Hey, my friends, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, Gazali Orella here. Welcome to episode 144 of the Gomaluka podcast. And on this episode, we'll discuss a topic that's not just fascinating, I think it's super vital. So if you're an indigenous, uh, a diplomat, or perhaps just a curious cat trying to figure out what the hell is happening at the UN, um, whoever you are, wherever you're tuning in from, and by the way, really appreciate it. Um, trust me when I say um, this is going to be a super important episode because I'm, I thought I would take the time to draw a line in the sand here that will change your perspective. Um, so by the time we're done, I think that you're not going, you're not just going to know the difference between indigenous peoples and local communities. Um, I think you're going to feel it as well. And, and, and by the way, if you're sitting there thinking, hey, indigenous peoples and local communities are the same thing, okay, that's all right, I respect that, but I, ch but I challenge you to stick around um, and allow me to show you a different angle. This is the Gomaluku Podcast. Ima ima yeah, imagine this. You probably, have, well, you live in a house probably, but have you ever owned one? Have you ever owned a house? Because that is the core of the matter we're exploring today. Um, homeowners versus tenants. Um, they both reside in the same building, but their relationships to that structure, their emotional, financial, and legal ties to it, it's two entirely different worlds, my friends. And that is something that um, yeah, this particular episode is going to, yeah, explain a little bit. But let me, let me get one thing straight. This isn't about like better or worse or homeowner versus tenant. Uh, it's about understanding the distinct differences, uh, the distinct differences between indigenous peoples and local communities. That is, that is the goal here. So for your sake, um, I thought I was going to dissect this whole issue into like two, into seven digestible uh, points, and um, yeah, and just as a bonus, I hope you uh, stick around till the end because at the end I will share with you like four common misconceptions that you need to steer clear of when it comes to this particular issue. Um, yeah, so that's what I wanted to cover. So much for the well, yeah, that's it with the preambles. Let's get this party started, obviously. Um, point numero uno is history. And when you're talking about us Indian peoples, don't forget, we have a timeline that would blow people's minds. It's, like, it's been said over and over again, again like thousands, thousands of years of history, um, a lot of cultures um, and with a very intricate relationship to our lands. So obviously a one size fits all box would be super inappropriate. Um, it is not the right thing to yeah, squeeze us into a box that is designed for everything but states, for example. Um, so um, our history is much more colorful much more distinct than people would think. Um, next up, point number two is lands. Um, listen, for us Indigenous peoples, lands isn't just dirt and rocks 
nor is it just a place to build on or to drill into. I can see you, uh, fossil fuel industries. It's actually our spiritual home. Um, the, it keeps our past and it encompasses our future. So we, and we pass this, this relationship, this knowledge, uh, yeah, with the land, this, this bond that we have with the land from generation to generation. Um, so it's, it's vocabulary, it's language, it's something that is not just as a commodity, it's part of us. So that's land. On to point number three is, is challenges. And let's get real here. Um, there's a storm we're up against. Cultural erosion is one, climate change, obviously, loss of land. Um, we're being pushed to the edges of society. Um, environmental havoc as well. And this isn't just bad luck, you guys. It's a result of historical wrongs. It, it's a result of, um, yeah, uh, uh, colonization um, that are still hurting us to this day. So that is super important, the, the distinction between us and local communities is the challenges that we face. Which brings me to point number four, so uh, which is our contributions, um, because we, we have a lot to bring to the table, absolutely. And we're helping the, the planet like big time. Um, biodiversity conservation is one, fighting climate change is another, uh, sustainable development, and not just um, sustainable development within the scope of the SDGs, no, like, um, We've invented sustainable development long before the SDGs did it, uh, just so you know. Um, and let's not forget, we enrich the world's cultural diversity and we also contribute to world peace. So it's not just the, the typical traditional knowledge, indigenous people's knowledge kind of contributions, it is identities, democracies. Those are the, yeah, the contributions that we make to the, to the to the, to the planet. And this all springs from a well of wisdom um, based on our special connection, sophisticated connection even, uh, with the natural world. Um, coming up to point number five is obviously legal rights. Um, newsflash, indigenous peoples have rights, unique rights under international law. Um, Self-determination is one access to lands, resources, preserving a culture, all this is our birthright. Um, and these are not just rights that uh, yeah, have been created or that are new rights, no. These are rights that indigenous people should have had all along. And they're recognized in the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, for example. And we need these rights to keep going. We need these rights to be able to keep doing what we do best. Moving on to number, point number six, self-identification. Um, everyone needs to respect our right to identi identify ourselves, absolutely, uh, to uphold our cultural integrity, uh, rec recognize us for who we are, uh, not some watered-down version that leads to our culture fading away. And that is something that we can see happening um, if this whole lumping together continues. Brings me to point number seven, representation. Uh, you know, I'm a 
I'm a huge, huge, huge uh, ambassador of, of uh, participation and we need a seat at the table, especially when the decisions that are being made impact our lives. So whatever happens in a, uh, under climate change, biodiversity, sustainable development, well, we all know that we have a, uh, we have a view on it, but um, it's also when it comes to chemical conventions, it's also when it comes to oceans, plastic pollution, you name it. Um, whatever decides, what is, whatever is being decided in those areas um, and it impacts our lives, our lands, territories and resources, then um, heck yeah, we need to be at the table. Um, so, because it's our interests or rights are do not only, uh, or should not only be um, curtailed to meetings that have the word indigenous in it. Um, our voices, our perspectives, our rights, they need to be heard and factored into any decision that affect our lives, obviously. Um, so those were the seven points. Oh yeah, by the way, uh, let me give you a bonus point uh, uh, for sticking around. Uh, bonus point eight is resources. Distinguishing between indigenous peoples and local communities is more than just about using the right words. It can impact our resources and how they are allocated. Um, and by resources, I mean like funding. So recognizing our unique status as indigenous peoples helps ensure resources um, get to where they're most needed, obviously, um, to protect our culture, our lands, our future, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that is, those are like eight, uh, yeah, main points that I want you to keep in mind um, as reasons why we need to be differentiated uh, and not to be included with local communities as one homogenous group. Um, and, oh yeah, by the way, um, let me prepare you for some potential hurdles that you'll find along the way as you progress into advocating for the differentiation and what hurdles you might run into. Um, obviously, first one is what I call the convenient excuse. So this is when states lump together Indigenous peoples and local communities to sidestep their obligations under international law. And trust me, there's, there's nothing more fundamental to us than our right to self-determination. So when states play this card and say that everyone's indigenous or they only have local communities, they're basically trying to dodge this right. Absolutely. And that, my friends, isn't just a slip up. It's straight up misinterpretation of who we are and what we're entitled to. So whenever they say this, keep in mind, it's an active decision. It's not an oversight mistake, it's not an operational mistake, it's an active decision. So keep that in mind. And second one is development deception. And, and I see this all the time. Indigenous and local community projects being rolled out under the banner of quote unquote development. And it's like our rights and struggles are being repackaged and sold back to us as development projects. But here's the deal. This isn't about development. Um, this is actually about recognizing and respecting our rights as indigenous peoples. So. We've been developing our cultures, languages, and ways of life for thousands of years. So don't tell us we need to be developed, you know? Um, if anything, we need to be recognized. That's what we're looking for. We don't need to be developed. Um, you need to be developed, <laughs> in a way. Um, we need to be recognized. 
Um, third on the list, we got the Karma Conundrum. And uh, yeah, um, yeah, I came up with these sentences myself. And when it comes to Karma Conundrum, um, this might sound small, but when it comes to you and decisions, every little freaking detail matters. Every little detail counts. When indigenous peoples and local communities are lumped together, um, it suggests we're the same. Spoiler alert, um, you've been through the entire podcast so far, we're not. We are distinct entities with unique rights and identities, so it should be, for example, indigenous peoples, comma, and local communities. So that comma right there, it's tiny, but it makes a world of difference. It is our mark of distinction. Um, and, and, and by the way, this conundrum that we're talking about doesn't stop there. Uh, what we also need to watch out for are abbreviations. Um, and not just the UN, but like the world in general is, um, yeah, it's trying to make it easier for themselves. So they come up with abbreviations one of them is uh, obviously LCIP, LCIP, or BIPOC, for example. Uh, but particularly LCIP um, is one, uh, one major problem that I'm seeing. And when it comes to these abbreviations, when it comes to the, the, the comma conundrum, the devil is always in the details. As representatives, we gotta inspect every word, every punctuation, and every abbreviation to make sure that uh, they truly, they truly reflect our um, our rights as Indigenous peoples under under international law. And, and the final, final, uh, yeah, trap or mistake that I wanted uh, you prevent you from making is the settling trap. Um, my friends, we cannot be complacent and just settle for existing language or definitions. And believe me. Um, if you're in negotiations uh, within the UN, then wordsmithing is your, um, yeah, you'll become an expert in it. And you're, you'll also become an expert in like using other UN resolutions, uh, decisions, and shopping around uh, those decisions for language that they can, you can use in the process that you're, that you're negotiating in uh, right now. Um, so, this is definitely something that um, within the UN context is happening all, all the time. So this existing language and definitions, it's, um, you cannot be complacent. The goal is not only to maintain our position, um, but it's also to up the ante. It is to um, advance, to improve our position. Um, so what does this mean? Pushing for better recognition, representation, and the rights in every negotiation, in every decision. Um, we can be cool with the status quo. Um, we always have to shoot for the stars, obviously, uh, absolutely. Um, and I believe, and this, um, well, obviously this is all an opinion. Um, settling, I believe, is not in our DNA. Uh, striving for more, um, I think that's what we're all about. So that is something that we always need to keep in mind. Uh, so yeah, those are the, the four things. Uh, so there you have it, um, I think. So just a recap, 
the four most common pitfalls. The, like number one, the convenient excuse. Two, the development deception. Three, the common conundrum. And four is the trap of settling. Um, so what I'm trying to, what I try to do here is to give you like eight um, yeah, tools actually, or ammo, if you will, or um, utilities so that you can put into your utility belt. I see you, Batman. Uh, be your own Batman with these uh, eight uh, reasons and also the four traps uh, that I want you to be aware of. Um, so, and yeah, armed with this knowledge, with, the, with these tips or hacks, whatever you, however you want to call it, um, I think you're ready to step up, um, dodge these mistakes and crush it in your advocacy work and help us out at the, um, if you're Indian peoples, uh, help us out in the movement. If you're a state representative, also help us out, uh, but more like in intergovernmental negotiations. And if you're an ally as well, you can help us out as well with this. So whether you're heading for the um, facilitator working group, which is upcoming in a, um, in a couple of weeks, or the 8J meeting, uh, which is set to, um, you know, to occur in November, um, I think you're now packing some serious knowledge power um, to address these meetings. Um, what else What else I got for you? Um, oh yeah, by the way, a solution, obviously. Um, and I think this solution is absolutely a game changer for you. Because um, what I'm talking about is a solution to this issue. What I'm talking about is pushing for a new status for indigenous people's governments at the UN General Assembly and the Human Rights Council. Because I already said it, right? Um, we all know that one size doesn't fit all. Um, so why should it be any different for indigenous peoples at the General Assembly or the, or the Human Rights Council? Um, so what we need is a status that's like a custom suit, tailored specifically to fit the needs and characteristics of indigenous peoples. And it's about, yeah, it's about getting the recognition we deserve, making sure our voices are heard loud and clear, that we can speak directly to the decision makers and that we're treated as the rightful, yeah, uh, not owners of the lands, but of the owners of their culture, cultural heritage and um, holders of the right to self-determination. Self and also knowing that our peoples and our governments have existed um, in most cases um, long before the current political governments uh, existed. And, and some of our governments, unfortunately, um, have been silenced or, or need to be revitalized. So with this new status, I think it would change the game. It would mean that we get the respect and the space we need to share our concerns and perspective directly and you know and you gotta this, this this whole process is not about you know like the direct human rights violations this process is about hope and imagine how powerful it would be how much it could shape the policies and agreements that affect us our rights culture and way of life um, by having like our governments participate in yeah, within the international community as yeah, government representatives. Because it's not just about the conversations, it's about changing the language used also in official documents and, and agreements. So, you know, see where I'm going with this? It was the, 
the local communities and Indian peoples being lumped together, you know, so this status could help, uh, help not alleviate, but um, help being a solution to that, to it. And all these languages, you know, and being developed in partnership with us, Indigenous peoples, so that we can make sure that our unique status and rights are not just included, but respected. So that is, so what I gave you is like eight reasons why four uh, traps that you can uh, circumvent or um, yeah, avoid, and then one solution that could help uh, yeah, become a solution to, to this whole issue. Um, yeah, so that is, that is what I would uh, well, call a successful podcast episode. And, well, and as a final point, um, in the homeowner and tenant example I gave you earlier, um, am I insinuating that local communities in Africa, Asia, or Latin America are like quote-unquote tenants? Absolutely not. That's what, not what I'm saying. Every group has its profound historical connection to the land. The only thing that I'm saying is that indigenous peoples have a unique set of rights, a distinct status, and that's not just me like venting while I'm sitting here at, the, at a park in Geneva or just me blowing hot air. It's laid down in international law. So that's what I wanted to share with you. Um, yeah, all right, that's it. That's it for now. Um, before you go, uh, please, please, please share this podcast. Uh, spread the word, leave a review. It would literally mean the world to me. And yeah, that's it. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.